If we could stand together, I want to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation, so if you have something different, it'll probably be a little bit different. Uh, I, just, I like how this reads, so I'm going to read from, from the New Living. Acts 2 says this, it says, They joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. They sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. Go ahead and have a seat. When I was in high school and in college, I played baseball. And when we were supposed to be at practice, I had other things I had to do. So sometimes I just didn't go, right? I had homework. Sometimes I had to clean my room. I'm a guy, so I needed to eat. And before games, before practices even, we would come out of the dugout and come together to, as a team, sometimes to just get prepared for what we were about to do. But you know what? I just stayed on the bench. After games and practices, there were times where we needed to fix the field, pull weeds, rake the pitcher's mound, clean things up. And you know what, so I, I did a little bit, but I just thought, you know what, the other guys, they can do it. And during practice, we had this play that we worked on where somebody was on first base, and what I was supposed to do is I was supposed to bunt the ball, and while that was happening, when the pitch was made, the guy on first was supposed to run as if he was stealing second base. But you know what, I didn't like to do that that much because I, I when I would bunt the ball, I would get out. It just I didn't feel good about it. It didn't it didn't do anything for me. Right? There were times as a pitcher on the team where we'd be throwing batting practice and as a pitcher I'd be out in the field and balls would be hit out there and so the coach would say, Hey, can you go I need you to go shag the the or field the balls. And so I thought, oh, man, this is boring. I don't want to do this. And so I'd go out there and do what I had to do, but I always thought to myself, you know, why don't they figure out a better system? Why don't they just do it themselves? They, I mean, this is kind of a waste of my time. Practices were three hours a day, five days a week, and often they would run late. Even though we were in the middle of working on some fundamental or learning some play for the next game, something that was important, man, I was frustrated because I just thought, you know what, we're done. It's time to move on. I'm, I'm already focused on what's happening next. So I got things to do, like watch TV, right? Or a Super Bowl. <laughs> so I got a couple questions. Wasn't my attitude, isn't my attitude contagious? Doesn't it make you want to play baseball and be a part of the team I'm on? Don't I sound like I like the sport? Man, you should too. <laughs> Don't you get the feeling... Do you get the feeling that I wanted to be there? What if this were my attitude? When I was in high school and college, I played baseball. 
And I loved the sport. I loved to come together with the guys on my team. I loved to compete with these other guys. I wanted to be there with them. And because of that, I sought to be the best I possibly could be. Because I wanted to be the best so that they could be their best. And they could do their best and we could do our best. I loved before the game coming out of the dugout. And I loved, I loved coming together as a team. Being able to encourage one another and see how we're all getting set and ready to go for what we're about to do. There were these times that we had to rake the field, pick weeds. That we had to pick up trash and, and get the field ready. And I wanted to help things get done quicker so we could do other things. We could, we could focus on th- other, other parts of the game also. But I also did it because I, I thought, you know what? Having a great looking field is a good thing. I also thought, you know what? Let's make this field a field we can have pride in. I also thought, you know what? Let's honor those that have paid for this field by making this the best we can make it. Oh, you know what? We had this play. It was awesome, you know, because there was a guy on first base, and the whole goal was to get him to second base. And the reason why is because I wanted him to score, because if he could score, it would be best for us as a team, because it puts us one run ahead. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes I did get thrown out. Sometimes, you know, in early on, it was hard because I had to figure out how to bunt the ball, because I'd foul it off. They would know our play. And I would get a strike against me. So I worked really hard to make sure I could do that and do it well. So that when the pitch was made, the runner was on the move, I could lay down the bunt and he could get the second base. Our coach used to have us pitchers catch fly balls and feel the balls when the guys on the, on the team were hitting during batting practice. And, you know, sometimes it's long, sometimes it's hard. But I thought, you know what? I can work on my skills right here. I could work on some basic fundamentals of how to be better. I could figure, maybe, you know what, I could actually figure out a way maybe where I can get all the balls together, I can get them into the pitcher, and so we could be that much more efficient, and the guys on my team got to practice hitting even more. You know, often practice would run late, and, you know, it, it man, it sometimes is a little bit rough, but, you know, we were doing stuff that was important. Because we were spending time, there, a lot of times we'd spend the end of practice, we were focused in on what we're going to do in this next game. Some important skill, some fundamental that would put us one step ahead. And you know, in those moments, I learned some good skills. And we were able to be efficient together as a team. And so I, just, I decided that sometimes things don't work out, and I, and I was going to seize the opportunity. It was amazing how it paid off. What if my attitude was like that? What if our attitude was like that? What if our attitude was cheerful and seeking ways to give of ourselves for the benefit of the team and the individuals on this team and this body here at this church? Do you kind of see the difference there? Is an attitude. So, I got four things that I, w- I want to share with you guys this morning. Four ways that healthy church members build up the body of Christ and how we can do it here at Bethany. The first one is, uh, sorry, let me back up real quick. Healthy church members living in a healthy way that is strong, consistent, and lasting comes from the individual church member devouring God in word 
and prayer before Sunday even comes. Healthy individual members give themselves in prayer freely and cheerfully and willingly sharing their resources, looking for ways to serve others, and then showing up to encourage maybe the already strong, maybe to strengthen the weak and, and to carry the broken. Healthy church members that are bodybuilders, are, they're consistent. Or to use a word for the church, they're faithful and they're centered upon the gospel of Jesus. So like I said, we're going to look at four ways this morning, four things this morning, the healthy church members, how we build up the body of Christ at Bethany. And the first one is healthy church members that are bodybuilders, they're consistent in attendance. When you, if you read in Hebrews, right, it talks about coming together. And, and when we read in Luke, or in, uh, excuse me, in Acts chapter 2, especially in verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes. They shared meals. But if you listen to the words explaining all before that, they devoted themselves. That's an action word. They met together each day, like I said. Showing up is paramount, but it isn't enough, though. Just being here, it is the start, but it isn't the finish. Showing up is the beginning of, to something great and rewarding for you and for me. There was a phrase uh, early in my faith that I heard, and man, I've held on to this. I think it's just awesome for all of us. It's this. Presence is 90% of ministry. Let me say that again. Our presence is just is 90% of ministry. Sometimes just being there is all you and I have to give because life's just swallowing us whole. Sheer numbers alone sometimes when we come into this place, when we come together, sometimes just the sheer numbers creates an excitement because it sends a message to the people around us, the people watching, that what we're about to do is important. It's right. It's good. Often when we put in the effort of showing up, God meets us and we walk away encouraged and empowered to deal with that life that's swallowing us whole. Sometimes just being there opens the door for conversation, which builds connection. It, it opens the door for trust. And sometimes, you know, it, it leads to a deep fellowship that nurtures and it builds up. It, it builds up a deep faith. It builds up the very part of us that is deep within it's longing for something more. I mean, maybe I can take this a step farther too and acknowledge how doing this outside of the church time builds and strengthens and it even encourages, encourages us all the more for the next time that we come together. Why? Because we're acknowledging the thing that we hold in common. And when we're valuing, valuing one another, Because we're giving time to be together, or maybe maybe meeting needs of one another and sharing about the good things that God is doing in and us, in and through us, it's testifying of His goodness. Sometimes just being there is an unseen ministry that we don't know. We don't know how, what's going on. We don't know how it's just being there may play out. A smile, a simple just handshake, 
A caring gesture might be all that somebody needs that feels alone or unworthy or they're struggling with feeling unlovable. And that simple handshake, smile, gesture, just being there can unlock the door of their heart to hear and receive a message that speaks God's love to them. However, there's a disclaimer in this that I want to give to you. Don't ignore the other 10%. Because actually that other half, that 10%, is the most important half. It's this. It's the half that anchors all the rest upon the right foundation. It's you and me choosing to show up to receive, together with others, the teaching of God's word. It's the unity found at the Lord's table, which we're going to be a part of in just a little while. It's celebrating what Jesus did for us and the future that it's going to lead us into. It's the body praying together. It's the fellowship found in a united mind focused focused toward what the gospel towards the gospel and how it can be given to one another and those that need it. And I would say I would finish that phrase when we come together it's, it's in Jesus, it's for Jesus. Consistency and attendance it builds the body by giving context of each other's lives. It builds off of a history of being together. It feeds the intuition of what is needed and not needed. It provides safety, the safety that's needed to go the next level in a relationship, in a relationship together as the body. It gives a place to have others know your needs and to help meet your needs and to speak truth and wisdom into you and maybe your situation. Our faith in Christ and, and the church body is deepened and strengthened when we drop our pride and we walk in humility. The humility that leaves room to be corrected and rebuked. Why? Because pride blinds us. Pride blinds us and when we're blind we can't see really where we're walking. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves fallen, hurt, or maybe worse yet, gripped by sin. Consistent attendance makes it possible to be known and seen. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. I get that. But consistent attendance gives us eyes to see those that are truly about our best and the future, or and, excuse me, and, and the nurturing and leading, the gentle leading, and the taking us carefully back to Jesus. As we walk in that humility, the church body can move towards the pure love of Christ and truly reflect Jesus. And it connects to the deep longing each individual has for forgiveness. But, you know, can we be real about this for a moment, though? Right? We all have different personalities. There's conflicts in there. Sometimes there's frustrations. Maybe there's differing opinions within the body of what we should do, how we should do it. These can cripple the church and rob it of the true, genuine joy. But let's go back to Ephesians 4, right? We talked about Ephesians. Let's go back to verse 3 in there. Seek, endeavor, choose 
with diligence, make every effort to keep the unity of who? The Spirit. Through what? The bond of peace. The Spirit counsels, He comforts, guides, leads us to truth and enables grace, all leading to the fruit that comes from walking in the Spirit's counsel, His comfort, His guidance, and His leading us to the truth. This bond is due to the glue. The glue is what your peace is found in, right? It's, it's the truth and the saving grace of Jesus. The peace is walking in truth. It's pouring out that grace of God to others that we've been given to ourselves. Acts 2.46, I think, gives us some insight here about attendance and, and how that builds up the body. It says, they came together... Not, be, not once a week, because that wasn't good enough. They met daily. They experienced God moving amongst them. And they were hungry for it. I believe it's safe to say they didn't just want it, but they actually realized that they had a need for it. Consistent attendance gives room for the opportunity to be touched by God through the physical presence, the emotional presence, and the intellectual presence. In a very powerful way that encourages and it empowers. Consistent attendance also builds an atmosphere to serve in a meaningful, efficient, and effective way. Which leads us to the second one. I meant to click that on for there. Healthy church members that are consistent, they have a desire to serve consistently. And I can't help but think of... John chapter 13, Jesus and washing his disciples' feet. There's a phrase in there that rings out true, and it actually calls us into action. And it's this. I, Jesus, have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What did he do? He washed the disciples' feet. It wasn't an act that was concerned, that he concerned himself with, who is greater here, who's lesser is this kind of gross, not gross? But he was concerned with this. It was, the, it was a chance, to, an intention to move the kingdom of God further, to move the kingdom of God forward. Jesus served us in, a, in, man, in the most inspiring way, purposefully, intentionally giving us, not some of himself, but all. His love and his care for us breathes within us a desire to become like the Son, to do the same for others. Romans 8.29 mentions that we're called to become like the Son. Matthew 20.28 20, talks about how Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Hebrews 2.7 says that he made himself lower than the angels. And I'm not talking about he gave up his, his being God, but he took on humanity. And walked amongst humanity. He served us. Jesus, the lawgiver, came and he put himself underneath the law. Jesus, who was rich, became poor for our sake. However, you know, in all of this, this idea of service, being consistently serving, he doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves in this, by the way. But he gives us, each of us, gifts that are meant to serve one another and to lift him up for everybody to see. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, God has, given, God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. 
Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow from you. Use those gifts along with your personality and your history and your experiences with confidence as if it is God working through you. Surrender yourself because he will work through you. The essence of ministry, it's not about me. It's other-centeredness. It's the sacrifice of the self. It grounds us to reality and it helps us to see the frailty of humanity and our desperate need for God. There is joy in this sacrifice of service. When Jesus went to the cross, Hebrews says it like this. He says, for the joy before him, he endured the cross. The cross was the ultimate act of service. It was an act given for his enemy, those that put him on the cross, you and me. It was, an, it was a despicable act. It was a service given for the arrogant and shameful. It was, a, it was a service of the grossest kind. It was a service of sacrifice for those that are, were ungrateful. So where is this joy in this service that sometimes seems kind of daunting and tough? It's found in the, what it could, that service could lead to. It leads to salvation. It leads to people coming to know Christ. It leads to restored and renewed relationships with their maker. It leads to peace amongst enemies. It leads to people f- feeling valued to feel worthless. Can I just tell you that when I serve others and I see people who are broken get restored, people that are hurting be healed, people in need become satisfied, there's something powerful that happens there. Not just to them, but to me too. There's joy and reward that fills my heart. And yeah, you know, sometimes I can feel exhausted in it. Sometimes it, it truly is a sacrifice. But there is a satisfaction in seeing the touch of God upon others through through my service. Often service takes energy, it takes time, right? We know this. But it's worth it. It's so worth it when we're serving in the capacity that God's created us to be in. Ephesians 2.10 says, it speaks of how we were made for good works. 1 Corinthians 12 gives us this picture of what that looks like. Not for our own glory. It's for God's glory. It's for his sake. It's coming alongside one another. It's the body coming together to do God's work. It's the spirit working through us to accomplish the goal of God. It's done out of love. God's love, the love he pours into us. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says it, it, it gives us this. It says to serve without love, God's love, is actually meaningless. Serving isn't unevenly weighted by the more important gifts where uh, those guys, they got the more important gifts, they're, they've got more to give than I do. It's about the whole body coming together to do the work of of Christ, the work of God. At, Beth, at Bethany, access service may take on a little different shape than maybe the church down the street. And that's a good thing. It's okay. But what isn't good is, is when, as individuals of the church, we think we don't have anything to give. We each have something to offer because God has already put it within us. And if we don't use it, 
we actually are making Bethany less effective to carry out the will of God. It doesn't matter how insignificant or little your gifts feel. If you don't believe me, I encourage you, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Read all of it. No one can be you. You're the only one that can fill your role within the body of Christ. I can't do it. I need you to do your part. You need me to do my part. And can I just say that it's important for us to choose to serve the body of Christ first and foremost? I'm not saying we don't serve outside the body, the people outside of the body, because we should. But you know what? Our first aim should be serving the people of Bethany. That sounds a little selfish, Greg. Well, no, I don't think so. Because actually, in John's letter to us, Jesus says this. He he tells the disciples that they are to love one another as Jesus has loved them. And he says this. He says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's more than serving to make myself feel good about myself or, you know, to feel as though maybe some of the the bad I've done is being erased because now I'm doing good things. It's about us loving one another and about loving Jesus. It's trusting the Spirit of God to work within the service, our service, to touch the life of another person. It's about obedience to the Father's call upon us to love our fellow brother and sister in Christ. It's about a humble heart that says this, Lord, here I am, arms open wide, right? Use me for your glory and the good of man. Matthew 5.16 says it this way, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will, what? Will praise your Heavenly Father. You know, when I, when I used to go on missions trips with the youth and with the college, the missionaries would tell us that the people we are going to serve, they know we're already there before we even fa- come face to face with them. They're watching us from a distance. Why? Because they want to see what we are about and how we treat one another. And then when they would hear the message we would bring, would it validate what we're saying about a God that loves, a God that brings peace, a God that cares for them? Would it validate the message of a God that is about their good and not meeting somebody's selfish agenda? Serving takes time and energy, but it does have with it a reward. But it often needs a, has a need of resource to be given to move that service forward. Which brings us to our third one. Healthy church members that are bodybuilders are consistent and generous and cheerful giving. Giving implies sacrifice, it's surrender, and again, other-centeredness. Are you guys catching a theme here about what, building up the body? It's not about me. Healthy church members are about others. They're about the health of the church. One aspect of giving is giving of our time. We just got through talking about that. But there's another aspect. It's one sometimes we hold on to pretty tightly, right? It's, it's giving. Giving of our resource. Acts 2 says the early believers sold their possessions and put their money together. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you know what, go sell everything you got. I am saying this though. I am saying that if having nice things gets in the way of you obeying God and giving to his work, then you need to question your heart. 
Jesus made it really clear, like we heard earlier, that you cannot serve two gods. You will serve one and despise the other. You will either serve God or you will serve money. The reality is that we, all that we have anyway is on loan by God. Second, or First Chronicles 29.14 says that everything, it comes from God. Proverbs calls us to use wisely what's been given to us. And it wasn't just given to or for us, but it was given to be used by us in Christ, in Jesus. Throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's a call to give. There was a system set up by God to take care of the orphans, to take care of the widows, those that couldn't meet their own needs. It was through the fruit of the land as well as other resources. The concept of the tithe that's seen from Abraham from his time forward and then given as a law through Moses and the Mosaic law. And into the New Testament, Jesus speaks of it. But then after Jesus dies, there seems to be an emphasis that's placed less on the amount and actually more upon generosity and cheerfulness in that giving and willingness. There's a striking incident that Jesus points out while he and the disciples are at the temple. There were these boxes in the court that they would walk up to and they would, they would put their tithes into. And the religious rich, the Pharisees, the leaders of the day, they would come in and they would drop all of it in there to make sure that it was known. They could hear it and make this loud noise and get noticed. And then in walks this little frail widow and takes two cents only two cents puts it in there. What is the response of the king of riches? Jesus. For the rich gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. In Second Corinthians 8 and 9, it points out to us that it isn't the amount, but it's actually the attitude behind the amount. It's generous. It's not holding back. It's cheerful, not disgruntled. It's willing, not despising. It's obedient, not disobedient. It's willing. It's faith-driven, not frugal. It's stewarded to grow in order to give more and not, not hidden off for my selfish gain. Giving builds the body in three ways. And the first one is this. It makes it possible for the organization of this church to function. To function, if I could, in three ways. By paying those that serve the church. And to take care of the physical grounds of this church. The second one is it meets the needs of the body. You and I have needs. And when we give to the church, it gives us opportunity to be able to know those needs, to meet those needs. The third thing is builds a body through outreach. Right? It's the outreach that flows when we give to the body. It, it, it flows from the body to a lost world. People that don't know Christ that need to hear that saving message, the gospel. The second way that giving builds the body is it, gives, it builds the body by blessing another person. In a way that they get to see God caring for them, like I just mentioned. Thirdly, 
It blesses you as the person who gives. How? By revealing God's care and his intimate interaction in our everyday life. And it strengthens our faith because now we trust him to meet our needs. We trust him to provide for us. It gives us deeper knowledge and understanding of the sacrifice that Jesus makes for us. Not to mention, and let's be honest with this, not to mention it feels good to meet the needs of others, right? I mean, can we be honest about that one? It's interesting to note that in Malachi 3.10, we're told to test God with our giving. The prophet of the Lord, Malachi, he's telling the people of Judah that they have turned their back on the Lord. And they think they haven't. The Lord says this to him. He says, you've cheated me. What did they cheat? They held back their tithe. What was suffering was not just them, but it was actually the storehouse of the temple, of the church. The servants of the temple and those, the ministry of this temple touched, were suffering at the core. And this was the issue. At the core was distrust and disobedience to, to the owner of everything, the king of riches, to God himself. God wants to meet needs. God's, God wants to bless. God wants to provide. He wants ministry to happen. Because it shows the world God's generosity. This is the only place in Scripture, in Malachi, this is the only place in Scripture that we're, seen to, and we're actually told to test God, which is kind of an interesting thing. It's not to test to see if God's able. Okay, we've got to clear that. We've got to make sure that's clear. But it is to test because it's to show that God can and he does bless those that walk in this faith and trust that he is the ultimate provider of all of our needs. He's a giver of all good gifts. Healthy church members generously, cheerfully, consistently give in hopeful faith to see those serving the body taken care of and the ministry of God expand through his church. It leads us to the fourth and final one. Healthy church members that are bodybuilders are consistent in purposeful prayer. And I leave this one to the end because coming together in attendance centered upon God's word, already soaked in prayer, it puts me in the right frame of mind. And it actually opens the door of the Holy Spirit to direct our paths as we give and as we serve. And there seems to be many characteristics of prayer None of them are complicated, though, so let's not make it complicated. Prayer is actually pretty simple. Let's keep it simple. Prayer is communication with God of all things. It's, it's addressed to God the Father. It's in the name of Christ, who is the mediator between God and man. And it's through the enabling grace of the Spirit of God. It's also seeking God's favor. It's drawing near to Him. It's us coming before Him in a humbling effort. Prayer is not some magical step-by-step process where, you know, of invoking God or a certain set of words or type of words that we use. It's not left to a place or a formal setting. It's not in, you know, if I pray this way, then God's going to give me what I want. Prayer is not a formality that I go through since God already knows everything. Prayer is me engaging with my creator. It's seeking to share life with him. It's not being afraid to ask and then saying, not my will of God, but yours. 
It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that grows deep in fellowship where trust and surrender are given to him. And I walk away strengthened. I walk away refreshed, renewed, and often with clarity. All in the freedom of the moment, place, the posture, and my state of mind. Prayer isn't just for God. It's, it's really, it's for me. When prayer is tied to scripture, it helps us to clarify God's will and actually to remain in God's will. It focuses us. It centers us on him. We don't pray as a mean of, of getting our will done on earth, but it's, really, it's rather it's praying to get God's will done on earth. And, you know, when we, when we lack prayer, we naturally, we effectively, we destructively enact our will upon the earth. Church, we are strongly encouraged in Scripture to pray not just individually, but together. We have that uh, Pray for Bethany starting February 15th. It's a good place to jump in. Jesus said his Father's house is to be a house of prayer. But to pray for what, right? To pray for understanding in our faith, for inner strength given by the Spirit of God. To trust in God, for comfortableness of Jesus in our hearts as we trust him, our comfortableness. That we would be rooted in his love. We pray for that. We pray that an overflowing of abundance of all that God has for us and his power would pour out of our lives, accomplishing his will through us. We pray for these things. Let us pray together and for one another. We pray for unity, being in one mind. We pray for the broken, the hurting. We pray, may our prayers even breed and breathe confession. May we pray for the lost to be found. God's will done on earth. You know, as we pray together, the fellowship amongst us strengthens. It deepens. It moves us together in unison. It focuses us upon what is right and good. And it unleashes God's spirit to do his work through us. People want to be a part of something. I want to be a part of something. I know you do too. People want to work together. People want to be a part of something that looks and even feels like it has life. People want to be noticed and filled, cared about, and have something to contribute. When the church of Christ looks and feels as though there is genuine life and love for one another, it will draw people in and they will be curious because it's something they're built for. We are built for a relationship with God and a relationship with one another. Church health springs from recognizing a need for Jesus and then what he did. Church health is centered around who Jesus is and us focusing upon him as an individual and then coming together to do that together. That's how we build up the body. Um, I'll jump to these questions real quick. Are you known for overflowing with genuine joy? What's robbing you of, of, of joy? When you come here, is something robbing you of joy? If that's the case, go back to the joy of your salvation. Is it evident that you want to be together, building each other up, caring for one another? Are you more about the body than yourself? 
What of yourself will it take to want to even be here more together? Choose to rejoice with one another. Is your giving cheerful, willing, generous? Is your security found in Jesus, not your wealth? Is giving held back because of fear, personal want? If that's the case, step out in faith and test God's ever-abundance care for you, for me. Do you have an attitude of serving and looking to serve? What's holding you back? We have a serve campaign coming up next week. Join it. Look for it. Is your lifestyle filled with prayer? Do you purposely pray for one another? Do you pray with one another? Sign up for the Pray for Bethany, like I mentioned earlier. Catch what the result of the early church coming together and doing is. Let me read Acts 2 again, and I'm close with this. They joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do here in a minute, and in prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together consistently and shared everything they had. They sold their possessions, shared the proceeds with those in need. Catch this. They worshipped together at the temple, temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. There's two results. They enjoyed the goodwill of all people, and the Lord added to their group. It wasn't that they did anything crazy and off the wall. It was that they responded with a sacrificial sacrificial desire, propelled with effort, putting off their wants and desires, and choosing to worship their God with one another and serve one another, filled with the joy that comes from a thankful, praise-responsive heart to God that saved them from their sin. Healthy members, church members, are their bodybuilders. As you seek health in Christ, the body becomes healthier. As the body becomes healthier, quality and the quantity of the body grows. Joy gets felt, felt, and actually life springs up. Father, uh, as we get a chance to take, come before your table in unity, we get to do this together in fellowship. Lord, help us to be people that build your body. Lead us into being people of prayer that serve and give and, in, and choose to attend, to be next to one another, to further on your kingdom. And this is all because of you. It's all in you, Jesus. In your son's name, amen.